I feel like one of the old, uh, one of those independent churches, right, where the, the one guy just does the whole service <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, that's how it used to, I could go over and play the piano. That would be, that'd be really how it used to be, but, well, it's fun. I will, um, I'm going to ask us to uh, go ahead and stand now because we're going to turn to our scripture text. So Luke 19, we've made it this far in Luke. We were, we were looking at how long has it taken us to get here because we only do, a, a, as you know, a few verses at one time. But we've made it to Luke 19, so praise be to God for that. And uh, I will say this, we're all pretty familiar with this story. Anybody know the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, yes. We're going to sing. We are going to sing about Zacchaeus tonight. <laughs> um, but I'm going to draw some other things because I think you've heard this story about Zacchaeus. So I'm going to draw some other applications out tonight. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, hear now the word of God. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. For so, so he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord. I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Amen. You may be seated. Holy Spirit of God, we pray that you would illuminate our hearts to know and hear and receive this text now. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I titled this, The Unexpected Salvation. Now, we know the story of Zacchaeus. So we're like, yeah, we know. He climbs up in the tree. He, he, Jesus is excited. He gets saved. But the people didn't know what was going to happen with this man. I just want you to remember that. And as Christians, we've received eternal life. Right? We, have, we have a new understanding. We have faith-driven understanding. And so we're looking, or we should be looking for the salvation of the Lord, shouldn't we? We should go to Walmart. We were just over there, you know, the other day. I'm thinking, are we looking for salvation? What am I, lo- what am I doing here? Buying bread? Or am I looking for something bigger than this? Right? And this is because we know what the salvation of God looks like. But... We can be unfaithful to this call, can't we? We can actually limit the power of God. We can fail to hope in the power of the gospel. And this is because we know the devastating effects of sin. We know that sin, over and over and over again, what does it cause? Hurt, pain, destruction. And we know that while Jesus... Uh, rebuke the Pharisees, right, for their hypocritical attitudes upon sinners, we know that heart within ourselves too at times, don't we? 
we know we can look down sometimes at a sinner, maybe a really bad sinner, and go, I don't know if Jesus can save that guy. That's pretty bad. But Jesus, of course, said there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, repents than 99 just persons who need new, no repentance. And here's my conviction. I'll be honest. Sometimes I'm pretty happy hanging out with the 99 people, right? I'd kind of rather hang out with them, okay, just to be honest. So as we study the passage tonight, I want us to reflect on that and, how, and that aspect of how we view salvation from our God. Do we in any way ever limit it? That's, that's really the whole sermon right there, okay? Well, let's take a look at this man, Zacchaeus. You know, in each of these, the way that your elders have parsed out the, the teachings on Sunday nights is we're basically looking at a different person. You remember we talked about the rich young ruler, okay? And we've talked about different people Jesus encounters. Today, he encounters Zacchaeus. I want to just mention three things about Zacchaeus. Three things. One, he's called a chief tax collector. And he was rich. Now, we've heard of tax collectors before. Who was a tax collector? Matthew. Right. Matthew was a tax collector. Um, I don't think we really understand what it is to be. And we understand IRS agents. and Maybe we don't like IRS agents. But this is at a whole other level of IRS agent. Okay. Um, this is the only place in the Bible the word chief tax collector, or that phrase chief tax collector is used. We don't run into any other ta- chief tax collectors in the Bible. But de- being a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus was a really prominent guy. In fact, you had all the tax collectors in a certain region, and it says Jesus went into Jericho, but Jericho was a city, but it was also more like a region. It was like a tax district of Rome at the time. And Zacchaeus was over, he was kind of like the boss or supervisor of all the tax collectors. And the way it worked is they wouldn't collect taxes. You know, they would take a little bit more, right, for themselves. And then he would get a cut of everything they took. So he 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 was a very wealthy man. Now, Jericho is interesting because it was probably one of the wealthiest tax districts in Rome at the time, the Roman Empire at the time, because they actually produced bombs and ointments and we would think of them as like essential oils or something like that. They, they produced these things for med- medicinal purposes. They were very expensive. So that it probably had one of the highest yielding tax revenues in the Roman Empire at the time. So not only was Zacchaeus just a man of authority, but he was rich. And he was rich, of course, not only because he was in the Jericho tax district, but much, much like every tax collector, Zacchaeus overcharged people even particularly the Jewish people or the the God's people, and he took a cut for himself of all the taxes his tax collectors administered. So he was rich and he was a chief tax collector. Secondly, Zacchaeus was not liked by the people. Okay, He, he He was actually hated by the people because of his role as a tax collector, particularly the chief tax collector. He had this overcharging practice, right? He would gain wealth for himself and he would steal from the people. And, and he was hated because of this. Now, this is, I just want to introduce, this is partly, partly why perhaps he did not go right up to Jesus and instead climbed a tree. So just consider the scene a little bit, okay? He's, he's not liked by anyone, really, okay? <laughs> and there's this crowd of people, and there's Jesus coming, and if you're like not the liked guy, are you going to just run up into that crowd? 
you know, or it could be a little bit of, oh, Zacchaeus, excuse me, you know, could you just get behind me? I mean, he was not liked by anyone. Now it says, our text says, part of the reason is he got up in the tree because he was short, but he was also not liked by the people. And so you can imagine if you were not liked by the people, you might want to be able to watch from a distance. But he was definitely not liked by society. In fact, he was a blatant sinner. He stole for himself on behalf, behalf of another stealer, the, the Roman government. And he would even do this as a Jew to other Jews. He's really, really against, really, really hurting God's people. And, and we, we see also, thirdly, something interesting about Zacchaeus. He wanted to see Jesus. And we see that from the text. At the very least, he was curious. Right? We could say at the very least he was curious. But notice, he, I would say he was motivated. First of all, he ran ahead. And back in this time, prominent men didn't really ever run. They had garments on that almost didn't enable running. They would have to like pull up. You know, They had these huge robes and coats. They'd have to almost pull up to run or they'd trip over them. So the, men like this didn't run. It's like the, man, it, the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. You know, when the, the father ran, we say men didn't run in this it was, it was undignified to run. So first of all, he ran because he was motivated. Secondly, he climbed a tree. I mean, has, do, do grown men climb trees very often? I mean, I, I would be afraid I'd hurt myself. But sycamore trees, granted, are easier to climb, perhaps. Um, but again, this is not, this man's in a robe. I mean, you're just not climbing trees all the time. So he's doing some very unique behaviors. He's motivated to see Jesus. He is, we, that's, that's clear. So, and we see he's happy about it. Remember when Jesus receives him, which we'll get to in a minute, he says he, he joyfully received Jesus. Jesus said, come down, remember, right, Andrew? He said, come down from the tree. He's like, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm there. So he was motivated in many ways. And perhaps this is in the children's song, why Zacchaeus is called a happy little man. You remember that? Okay, let's sing the song. Now, we're gonna sing the song, it might be the last time you ever sing the song because I'm going to critique the song, but let's sing it together if you know it, okay? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said Zacchaeus you come down for I'm going to your house today for I'm going to your house today okay there's one more verse Zacchaeus was a wee little man but a happy man was he For he had seen the Lord that day, and a very happy man was he, and a very happy man was he. Amen. You know the song. Okay, now I want to take a moment to discuss that song, (laughs) and particularly children's songs in general, because I just want to give a word of caution. This is is really to the parents, children, it's for you too, and your children one day. Um, I want to give a word of caution about children's songs in general. So you can see I'm diverting from the text for a moment here as an opportunity. Um, And I liken this warning a lot to 
Ken Ham's warning. Anybody heard of Ken Ham's warning about the bathtub ark? Has anyone heard that? The bathtub ark. He's very concerned about the bathtub ark, which I am too. Um, When describing Noah's ark in our desire sometimes to make Bible stories more receivable and understandable, we tend to simplify things so much that we can distort the truth, right? And Ken, Ken's, Ham point, Ken's Ham's point is that in a lot of children's books where you, you have describing the ark, these cute, chubby little animals kind of stuffed into this sort of rowboat-looking thing. And the problem is it gives the children the wrong idea. Has anybody been to the ark he, he be it built out there? Oh, like almost everybody. I mean, it's not some little thing with all these animals stuffed on. The thing is huge, right? And, but here's the problem. You might think, oh, what's the big deal? Children retain images in their mind. And when they're 18 years old, okay, and they go to college, they have this fairy tale picture in their mind. And it is destroyed by secular naturalism. And it makes their Bible story seem silly. And all of a sudden, these now young college students follow suit and start to question, Was that, did that really happen like that? Because that's what their professors might tell them. And of course, the question, then they question the truth of God. Then they question the existence of God. And it goes on from there. Now, I'm not blaming children's books for the downfall of Western society. But we just have to be careful. We've been given the truth. And just like all things, you're given something precious. You have to be responsible with it. And and we have a lot of children's books at our home and homes and are great. But let's remember what Jesus said. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than if he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. So, Again, I'm, let's just be cautious about this. And similarly here with the Zacchaeus song, okay? In order to simplify or maybe color these stories a little bit for children, we're really striving to make these stories um, consumable for children, right? Relatable, something they can remember, okay? But sometimes our emphases are not helpful. Okay, yes, Zacchaeus was short. He was a wee little man. Yes, Uh, He saw the Lord that day. And yes, he was happy. Those are all very true things. But those are not the takeaways from this story. Those are interesting artifacts. But the key is, with some of these children's songs, that's all you remember. I mean, if you remember, a child would probably remember, he was short, he's happy, he climbed in a tree. Good, that's all true. But the problem with that is, it missed the key points that we're all to take away from this story, which is what? First of all, Zacchaeus was a greedy thief of God's people. That's the first thing. No mention of that. He was just this happy little chubby guy. Okay. Secondly, he encouraged and enabled the theft from the Roman government, by the Roman government of God's people. But most significantly, this story is about the repentance and salvation of Zacchaeus. Those were not even mentioned in the children's story. No repentance, no salvation mentioned. And that's what this story is about. Now, you might think this is minor. But I'll tell you this, brothers and sisters. According to Barna, who Barna just did the last story uh, survey on this in, in 2019, 
He said 64, 64% of U.S. Uh, 18 to 29 year olds who grew up in church have withdrawn from church completely as an adult after being active as a teen or child. 64%. And we wonder why this happens, but are we laying a good foundation of the truth? I mean, we want our children, all these children in here to go away and think of Zacchaeus. I want them to, I want my children to think of one thing. God saved that man. God saved that man. I don't care if he was fat or chubby or short or whatever, climbed tree. Those are true artifacts. But we have to give our children this. So guess what I found? I found another song. <laughs> you want to hear this song? I won't sing it, okay? I'm just going to say the words. But listen, it's so different. Zacchaeus was a greedy little man. He cheated all the people in the land. When the rent they did not pay, he would take their land away and their furniture and everything they had. And this is the chorus. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, nobody liked Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, nobody liked Zacchaeus. Okay, that song's a little different, isn't it? It's not so happy. Because this is true. This is true, right? Nobody likes Zacchaeus, but Jesus engaged him. Zacchaeus repented and was saved. And this song goes on to say that. And that's what we need to remember, right? The defining thing about Jesus, uh, about Zacchaeus, is that his sin hurt everyone. He repeatedly stole from people, right? He used his authority to extort everyone. And nobody liked him. Yet, yet, God saved him. The power of God is awesome and amazing. And these tax collectors, this is what they do. This is what the tax collectors... I, it's, again, it's hard to give a modern-day example, except the, the best one I could think of is this, to give you an illustration. We had friends who lived in Ukraine for a while. Has anybody been to Ukraine? I've never been there. But they, they said, you know, when they lived in Ukraine, what would happen is the police would just pull you over for no reason, and they would just want money. They would just want money. And if you gave them money... They, you could go on your way. If you didn't give them money, if you're like, what do you, no, I'm an American. I'm not used to this. <laughs> uh, they would find something, probably many things to write you up and fine you on and basically make your life difficult. Now, this is common all over the world. I saw it in Thailand, Mexico, all over, right? This is corruption, right? This is the greedy power, ta- author- taking your authority and, and, and abusing it. So nobody likes the police when they do that. And it's same, similarly, nobody likes Zacchaeus, Right? Probably worse because he did it openly. He did it more openly. But Zacchaeus was not liked by anybody. Right? We see this. And there's an interesting thing in our text tonight. We've been studying as we've talked through Luke. Uh, you see an interesting thing happen. And I want to I talk about that for a minute. But take a look at your text. Let's back up to verse 5 for a minute. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. That's Zacchaeus. And said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must go to your house. So he made haste, came down, received him joyfully. And here's the key part in verse 7. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. So first of all, remember Zacchaeus was an honest stealer, thief, right? The, The chief thief, right, you could say. But when Jesus sees this man, Jesus saw this man up in the tree. What do you think 
the people thought Jesus would say to Zacchaeus. Maybe they'd say something like, they thought Jesus would say, Zacchaeus, you steal from people, you, exor- you, 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 you extort people, you, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God unless you repent. God's going to judge you. You have destroyed God's people. It's horrible what you've done. I mean, that actually response would actually be in line with what Jesus said to other sinners, right? I mean, think of what Jesus said to um, even the, the, uh, the woman at the well, right? She said, you have said, well, I have no husband. For in fact, you have five husbands and the one you have now is not even your husband. I mean, that's a rebuke, right? Or even the last chapter of Luke, uh, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. He said that publicly and openly, and that was very degrading to that man in many ways. But primarily, Jesus spoke very directly to the Pharisees, of course, right? And you, we could go on, but you know, he would say, woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites. He'd just call their sin right out in front of everybody, right? You clean the outside of the cup uh, and the dish, but you, inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. So the people were probably thinking, oh, he's going to say the same kind of thing to Zacchaeus, because we know Zacchaeus is a bad guy. But that's not what Jesus did, is it? Which is almost shocking. Jesus did not respond to Zacchaeus that way. Jesus responded differently. And of course, Jesus is God, so that's helpful. So he, he knew probably this man's heart. He already knew that there was some inkling of repentance going on in his heart, right? But I think the second reason Jesus approached Zacchaeus this way is very instructive to us. By not condemning Zacchaeus and rather engaging him, Jesus was hoping all things. He was really extending trust, wasn't he? He was hoping that God would do a great work in this man's life. And if he just condemned him, probably wouldn't be a lot of reception by Zacchaeus. So when someone is in a long-standing egregious sin, our inclination can kind of just to be to give up on them. Right? Like, I'm not going to invest a lot of time in this guy. I'm going to go over here to somebody that maybe is easier to talk to, right? And Because Zacchaeus had probably stolen from thousands and thousands of people. Thousands and thousands of dollars or whatever their trade was back then. And we think, well, people like this are, are bad. I mean, he's, he, he, he was even a Jew. He knew the law. He, he knew the truth. But he's just rotten to the core. He hasn't repented yet. They've hurt to, so many people. This person's probably beyond saving kind of like, again, the the people in the crowd had heard Jesus speak to the Pharisees. But of course we know that's not a hopeful heart, is it? The heart, in this case, if we just think someone is beyond saving, we're limiting the power of God, right? We're weakening the power of the gospel. Because the attitude is that we can really deny God's sovereignty because we don't know who God's going to save, do we? We, we We have no idea who he's going to save out there. I mean, and to say that God is constrained from saving someone due to their past sins is really hypocritical because that, that's us, right? I mean, we, we all sin. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And not just like Zacchaeus or a bank robber or some really bad guy, but all of us, right? Remember? Two says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumbles in one point is guilty of all, right? So, so you, yes, some sins are more egregious than others for sure, but even one teeny tiny little sin will separate you from God, 
right? And put you in a place where you're receiving everlasting judgment from God and the wrath of God, save the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. So Jesus did a totally different thing here and he did not rebuke Zacchaeus. He knew his heart. He was expecting a great work of God. And of course, Jesus wanted the people to see this. So the other thing that we see, which is really interesting, is Jesus did did approach this man in a way I think that's instructive to us. Because we might find ourselves actually in a similar similar situation. Um, Perhaps you know someone that's maybe sinned against you or was repeatedly rude against you or something like that, even for years. Um, or, Or you just might know a person, maybe they're not sinning against you, but you kind of know that that's maybe a sin point that maybe you've been affected by or they struggled by. The question is, when that happens, how are you going to approach that person? Are you going to bring it up and put it in their face again? Are you going to beat the person up with it over and over again? Or do you move on to the expectant, hopeful work of God? Let me give you an example. Let's say somebody is prideful, something we can all relate to, right? We've all been there. And all of a sudden, this person just makes another prideful comment. Now, you could go up and say, you know, you're just prideful. You're just terrible. You really need to change. That's one approach. But we know that no matter what we say, what is going to change someone's heart? The Holy Spirit of God is who softens hearts. So we can go and say all these things trying to change someone, but it's really the Spirit of God that's going to change. That's what we want. We want the Spirit of God to work. Right? In John, John uh, ch- chapter 16, it says, The Holy Spirit is the one who will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So we can re- re- rebuke others, and there's certainly times for that. But we, we might be sinning ourselves, though, if we're condemning others and calling out their sin. So we know that we want the, the Spirit of God to do that. So let's go back to our example. What if the person makes another prideful comment? So instead of, instead of speaking negatively to them, What if you just go right to the heart of Jesus that we see here before Zacchaeus? What if instead you go to the hopeful word of faith? What if instead if you just speak the expectant hope of God in their lives? So instead, again, back to the example, if someone says something prideful, what if instead you said, wow, that's great that you can do all that stuff. Isn't it amazing that God enables us to do everything? I'm so humbled by all the goodness God gives to us. You you didn't condemn them. You didn't call out their sin. But but you helped them see, yeah, wow, we can can all do a lot of stuff. But it's God that enables us to do everything, right? So it's just a way for us to consider in our interactions with one another. Um, The second aspect we see in Jesus' encounters are the words of Christ. Listen to this. This is a little bit like my exhortation this morning. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must go to your house. Remember this morning I talked about how uh, in 1 Thessalonians, it says, the Lord make you to increase and abound in love. And here we have, I must stay at your house today. It's kind of interesting, like, I must stay at your house. It's kind of, it sounds strong. But we see... Jesus, it was Jesus who first saw Zacchaeus in the tree, right? Remember, the, the situation's not that Zacchaeus was up there and he said, Hey, Jesus, I'm up here. No, Jesus was walking by and he called out Zacchaeus in the tree. And so, since Jesus' mission 
is to seek and save that which is lost, he sees this opportunity. He takes the opportunity. And of course, we should too. We should always take the opportunity with spiritual eyes of faith to see what God is doing, to see what's lost, to see what's blind, to, to give it the truth. But Jesus said, I must stay at your house. What does he mean by that? I must stay at your house. Like, was he like, I don't have anywhere to stay tonight, so maybe I could stay with you? No, no. I must stay at your house. Now, we know Jesus makes similar declarations like this. You might have remembered other times in the Bible when Jesus says, I must. Um, Luke 4, which we talked about earlier, remember he said, I must preach the kingdom of God. It's interesting. I must preach the kingdom of God. Um, but because in these instances, Jesus is speaking of really a divine necessity that he has to fulfill his father's will. So what was his father's will in this case? Look, it's the last verse in verse 10. If you want to look at your text, he came to seek and save that which was lost. So he sees, G- he sees Zacchaeus like uh, there's kind of a lost guy and he's thinking, wait, my job's to seek and save. I, I have to, you have, I have to talk to you. I have to talk to you, right? It's just, that's, I mean, for us, we're so, we're so utilitarian and practical today. It's like, you know, the gas on the car is getting low. I must go to the gas station, right? We're, that's the kind of, that's when we use these words. But think spiritually, and we all need to. I'm called son or daughter of the king. What must I do today? What must I do? Yeah, I can do all these things, but what must I do today? What is God calling? What is the sort of divine necessity that God has called me to do today? Now, if you, you may have obligations. If you're married, you, have ob- you must love your spouse. If you're a parent, you must raise your children, right? So we have these, you know, if you're called in some ministry aspect, right? You must do these things. And that's what Jesus, this is instructive to us. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. So God ordained this perfectly. And Jesus, in effect, said, look, God's doing something. I have to engage this man. So I must stay at your house today, Zacchaeus. Truly amazing. Now, after Zacchaeus made haste and came down joyfully, you'll remember in verse 7 that it says this, when they all saw it, they all complained, saying he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Now, remember, Zacchaeus wasn't liked by anybody, right? And uh, I think this comment is interesting because we would, we would normally tag this kind of comment to who? who? Who was saying things like this about sinners? The Pharisees, right? The Pharisees, they were always, oh, those sinners, oh, those sinners. <laughs> it was like, well, you guys sin too. But, they, but look what's interesting. They all complained. Now, remember, we've talked about this throughout Luke. This was a mix. This crowd was a mix of a bunch of people. Um, it was the people that were closest to Jesus were his followers, right? And then you kind of had another layer back here, and they were kind of like the curious seekers, like, what's with this Jesus guy? I, I came because I heard about him. And then who was back here watching all this? The Pharisees. They're like, you know, trying to catch him. What's, what's he doing? So this is a mixed crowd, but they, it says they all complained. Wait, wait, so even Jesus' followers complained that Jesus was going to go to this guy's house? Well, just to explain that a little bit, I think you, we can understand why that is a little bit. Because remember what's going on here as we've studied Luke. Luke has really been about Christ rebuking the Pharisees 
uh, in many ways, right? And Jesus was who? He was showing love to the poor, the blind, the naked, the, right? He was showing love to this, this whole section that the Pharisees were always condemning. And so for the ordinary kind of Jew, Jesus came and he loved them, right? He advocated for them, for all these sinners that the Pharisees were always calling out. In other words, Jesus was like on their side. You know, they're like, we love Jesus. Finally, somebody that receives us and cares about us. Not these, not these you know, these Pharisees that are always condemning us. Jesus seems to walk with us and love us and talk to us and care for us. But it reminds us that Jesus is not just hanging out with a certain type of people, is he? What is Jesus looking for in people? He's looking for that broken and contrite spirit. And so when all of a sudden Jesus was spending time with, with the broken, with the contrite, and then they, then they see him want to go to Zacchaeus' house, they were a little bit confused. Because, they, wait a minute, you're, you're for that guy? I thought you were against that guy, Jesus. Right? He's the bad guy. He's the guy that's been stealing from us all. How can you be for him, Jesus? How can you be with that guy? And so it just reminds us that Jesus, though, is not for the, just the poor and lowly. He's not for the rich. He's for who? He's for everyone that comes to him to repent, right? So when Jesus went to the rich tax collector, the people all grumbled a little bit because they thought, well, you, no, 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 Jesus, you, you can't. He's the bad guy. You can't go to his house. you got to hang with us, Jesus. But Jesus is not looking. Jesus did not come to save a certain type of people, right? A certain, a certain economic class. Uh, the way we discern people can be very external, Right? But let's be honest, Jesus is not for the rich. He's not for the poor. He's not for the whites. He's not for the blacks. He's not for the plumbers. He's not for the electricians. That, none of that really matters to God, right? What matters is the heart, right? Jesus is for everyone who comes to him with a humble and contrite spirit, who repents and trusts in him for salvation. And this is exactly how we should be, of course, is impartial. Right? We, remembering that there's really only two types of people in the world, right? And it really depends where they're bound eternally. So despite what the people said, Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, which causes us to consider, what was the state of Jesus, of, of Zacchaeus? You might be wondering, okay, we have this guy who stole from people. He was the chief, he must have been a pretty good thief because he was the chief tax collector. And we know he wanted to see Jesus, right? He climbed up the tree, he was motivated, we talked about that. We know he even received joyfully Jesus. These could be possible signs of repentance, but was it true? Was it real? Was this tax collector just deceiving Jesus like he deceived so many other people? Maybe he thought he'd get some tax money from Jesus. I don't know. But how could this greedy man take an honest interest in Jesus? How? Well, it's a similar question that we often face in repentance, isn't it, right? Is it real? Is it genuine? Even if a person seems contrite, we go, oh, I don't know, have they really repented? Right? We always ask ourselves this. But we never really know. Only God knows the heart. But the Bible shows us something here, and it shows us in several instances 
that true repentance will, will, will be displayed and accompanied by actions, by a changed life. And one clear example is the prodigal son, right? Prodigal son returns home to his father to be what? One of his father's servants. I mean, that must have been utterly embarrassing, right? After he demanded half of his inheritance, the whole town knew. He took it, left his father in this sad estate, and then blew it. And then had to basically come groveling back. I mean, in many ways, that's significant repentance. That all shows repentance. Because you wouldn't do that. Why didn't he just run away somewhere else? True repentance will be accompanied by action. And if it's a grievous or long-standing sin, kind of like the prodigal son, it's going to be significant. It's probably going to be drastic. Um, you're, you're going to see a change. And that's really what repentance is. You're going to see a change of mind. And this is why Jesus said, right? If your right eye caused you to sin, pluck it out. I mean, Jesus is saying, yeah, it's going to be, that's a pretty significant illustration. But it probably might have not been an illustration. It might have been for real. He's saying, saying take significant action in your repentance. Make the change happen. True repentance will be accompanied by serious action. And of course, that's exactly what we see here with Zacchaeus, isn't it? Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Now, notice this is the exact opposite, exact opposite of what the rich young ruler did. Remember? What was his response? He's just like, I don't, I'm sad. He walked away sad. He didn't want to give any money away. He gave half his, he didn't even have to do this, did he? Did, did Zacchaeus have to do this? Do you remember the reading from Leviticus 6? What did Zacchaeus have to do? Restore everything he stole plus one fifth. What does it say he did? If I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Whoa, he went way, way above. Plus, he gave half his wealth to the poor. That's tremendous. That's, that's why Jesus says that's repentance. I mean, that's significant. I mean, this guy's going above and beyond. And so that's why I think the, the, the exclamation of Jesus here is significant. Today, salvation has come to this house. I think he's probably said it like that, like, Do you all see this? Look what this man's doing. This is significant. And this is, remember, this is in the chapter right after the rich young ruler. And this is just a huge comparison. I mean, these two texts are just beautifully accompanied beside each other. But true repentance is accompanied by action. We see that in Colossians 3. You'll see that in Philippians 2. It's great to study. It's great to teach children too. um, Because children, you know, I mean, all kinds of sin every day, right? You speak meanly to your brother or sister or something like that. And you want to truly, are you truly repentant of that? Well, repentance, of course, is aligned with knowing who we are in Christ, right? That we have turned, we turn from this sin to God. And so this is exactly the kind of repentance we see with Zacchaeus. So indeed, salvation has come to his house. And Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus is really important for us to understand Because just like in the last chapter of Luke, uh, it's harder. It's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said it. It's it's possible, but it's very hard. 
But this shows us that the salvation of Zacchaeus shows it's not impossible to rescue someone from their enslavement to their idols. It's, it's, it's totally possible through God. The power of the gospel is amazing, right? The salvation of Zacchaeus was absolutely, I think, unexpected by the people. They, they, they thought, remember, they thought Jesus, oh, I'm just going to, he's going to rebuke them and move on and keep walking. But he stopped, come down from the tree, let's go to your house. Significant. Well, we don't have a lot of time to dive into this because we're about out of time. But I, this is for further study. Okay, some little homework assignment. Notice what he says. Salvation has come to this house. Hmm. Why didn't he just say salvation has come to this man? What? Why is he saying this whole this guy's whole house is saved? Well, it's for additional study, but I think you're going to find it connects to some covenant theology and it's outworking. So study that sometime. But let's just look at the final words here on this encounter that's really instructive. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because he is also a, he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was who? He, he was one of the, the last sheep of Israel, really, right? To whom Jesus' mission was toward, right? Jesus didn't have much longer here on earth. But we see that Zacchaeus, by repenting and following the way of truth, he was not just a physical descendant of Abraham, but he shared in the faith of Abraham and also the inheritance of God's covenants. If you want to study this, read all of Romans 4, but you just might remember, right, that um, it says, therefore it is a faith that it might be according to the grace so that the promise might be Sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So again, what, what, what Jesus is saying is, remember the faith Abraham had? Zacchaeus is showing the same faith as well. The same faith, a son of Abraham. Well, amen, this is just a glorious work of God. Jesus came to seek that and save that which was lost. And of course, he still does today right here in Elbert County, and this rich man who seemed to be condemned, right, forever because of all his sin, the impossible happened. This man was converted. Salvation came to this house because the Lord overcame his pride, his greed, and instilled in him by quickening his heart, by rending his heart, a desire for Christ in salvation. So he repented. Forgiveness and mercy from God were received by Zacchaeus, and salvation came to his house. So as we close tonight, let's just remember that we should never limit God. There's nothing God cannot do. No dead man that God cannot raise to life. There's no rock-hard heart that God cannot soften, right? This is the power of God. And as Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. May God grow that more in each of us tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, uh, th- this teaching tonight. Thank you for the word of God that you have shown us, Lord, that you are so powerful to overcome. The gospel is so amazing. The grace that you've poured out upon us that we can even see this with eyes of faith and know this truth and understand what it is for salvation to come, for repentance in a man's heart to take place. This is truly 
and amazing grace. And we give you all the glory, laud, and honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen.